I'm Jordan Weitzman, and you're listening to Magic Hour. Last month, as part of the Classroom series at the New York Art Book Fair, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Raheem Fortune to talk about his book, I Can't Stand to See You Cry. It was published last spring by Loose Joints, and just recently went on to its second printing. The photos in the book were shot in Texas and surrounding states, and weaved together a mix of pictures of people, interiors, and the landscape, all made amidst the backdrop of his father's battle with ALS. Thank you, Sarah Chaplin Espinal and Louis Chaplin, for inviting me to have this conversation with Raheem, and to the New York Art Book Fair for allowing us to air it here. Hello, everybody. Uh, is this my turn? Oh, yeah, yes. Hello, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. My name is Lewis Chaplin. I'm the co-founder of Loose Joints. Um, we published Raheem Fortune's book, I Can't Stand to See You Cry. Uh, when was that? April 21? Yep. Yeah, April 2021. Um, Raheem has gone from strength to strength since then, including a nomination for the Perry Photo Book Awards in 21 and winning the Arl Discovery Award in 2022 for this work. Um, we're thrilled to be presenting a second printing of the book that's just freshly arrived here for the book fair. And so to celebrate that, I'm very pleased to introduce Jordan Weitzman, uh, who runs Magic Hour, which is a podcast and publishing house, who are also here at the New York Art Book Fair and a talented photographer. I'm going to leave it to you guys, because I've got to run back to the book fair. Um, after this talk, we'll also be having a signing with Rahim at our booth, which is F11. And yeah, I'm going to press play on this little video and leave it to you guys. Thanks, Lewis. Raheem, how are yes, you? Good to see you. Thank you, guys. We're going to try to make this as not weird as possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also excited to see this uh, video that Lewis has put together. Um, it's been a real, a real treat working with them and seeing their kind of just continual growth um, as what feels like a a grassroots, you know, um, real, you know, personal, personable uh, collaborators. Um, it's really been a joy working with them. And, you know, often when I speak about the process of making the book with the publisher, I can tell that other photographers don't ha didn't seem to have had the same process or trust with their publisher. Um, and that has been such a, such a blessing because I really do trust them with the work and that they understand exactly um, what it is that I'm trying to say and accomplish with it um, and help me elevate it to that level. So I just wanted to give that thank you to Luce Joinson. I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, um, you know, how did the book come about? How did the collaboration come about? Hmm. They contacted me through email in 2021 as they were kind of looking for forthcoming titles. Um, and they sent me an email and that's kind of where it started. Um, I can expound on that because it was a little bit of a process from there. Um, Hmm. Had you conceived of this body of work as a book, or was it just a body of work at that time? Um, well, my first kind of inception of the project was going to be primarily photos of my father um, while we were caregiving for him. So there is a few kind of subtle interior moments that uh, detail the kind of um, day in and day out process of caregiving for an ailing parent um, and what that kind of did to family dynamics. So I, my initial thoughts was it was very much more centered around my father uh, mm. solely. So, you know, when, when you work on a book, it's, it's interesting how with each edit, the overall meaning can shift. I was, I'm curious how, when you, when you landed on the edit that you did, how did you know that it felt right? Or how did you know that, that was the edit? So often when I uh, present this work um, in lectures, I play it to music. Um, and uh, Brad might be the only person here who's been able to see one of those talks. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to call you out. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it fits perfectly. And I don't know if that's just me kind of, um, you know, romanticizing it, but the edit really fits perfects to the song, I Can't Stand to See You Cry. Um, and 
there's something about that that I almost come sometimes to uh, almost uh, compare it to like a vinyl record and it's kind of final quality of like the pressing and that's how the sequence felt to me. And that's with me living with it for a while. I know your question is more initially, how did I feel? Um, and I think that especially when you're about to publish a new book, most photographers, they don't really feel good about much. You know, you feel yeah. really like, oh, I guess this is it. This is everything that I'm, you yeah. know, is about to go out. <laughs> Um, so it's like a complicated thing, and then I think that always changes. You have moments where you feel amazing about it, you have, you know, but overall, yeah, I feel very strongly that the sequence does it justice as a narrative tool. Um, yeah. So when you started, um, so initially there were just pictures of your dad, and then you started to mix in other kinds of motifs and other kinds of pictures. Mm. The, I'm curious about the unpeopled pictures. Like, how were you thinking about, was there a certain tone that you were looking for in those pictures? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, off like this is a one a non people photograph um, of a, of a home on stilts near these train tracks. You know, this photograph speaks to uh, environmental illness and kind of like the chemicals and things that we live amongst, and that maybe how those connect back to uh, kind of unspoken, unknowable illness, like what my father was dealing with. But um, not to get too, you know, specific into each, you know particular photographs. I think overall, I was very inspired by having a non-formal photo background, so I wasn't formally trained in a school. But finding out about like the new topographics movement and how that was like kind of showed me like what where I grew up, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, um, looked like a lot of these pictures I was seeing from people like uh, Frank Golke or um, like you know. Um, George Tice or like these kind of master printer, like very kind of nuanced landscape uh, meditations. And so that was like straight up where my influence came from. Hmm. And so new topographics, that was like a early big entry point? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, um, of just coming to formally understand Canon in a way that was like, oh, it kind of opened all of these doors. I feel the same way about the pleasure and terror of domestic comfort, um, the Peter Glassie show and MoMA. And, yeah. you know, these big, I think they're kind of undeniable moments in the Canon of American photography. So, yeah, to not, you know, but, you know, I often am also just interested in people who work in portrait and landscape. I think it's such a fascinating thing. And when you do each isolated, it's so, in my opinion, very different. Um, and I love, you know, works that are all non-people photos and some books that are only people. Um, but often my favorite works are uh, a nice, you know, meditation between place and people. Yeah. What were some, I'm curious, like what were some of the uh, other books that you were looking at or thinking about in making this one? Um, the first one that I always talk about is Robert Adams' uh, Summer Night's Walking. Oh, yeah. Classic. You know, like just the photograph of like the tree bark that's like illuminated by, I don't know if it's a headlight or a street light. It was like felt so brave to me to point at that and say this is art, you know, like because I had very little understanding of like what it could be. And I think that it's really more illustrated in my photographs of Oklahoma where I was really figuring this out. And by the time I had arrived at this book, I had already began working editorially. I had lived in New York for a while. Um, but in the, my early work, Oklahoma, which was my very early artist books, um, you see photographs of um, Oklahoma in this way where it is very much just uh, a form of discovery that you know, I was interested in. I, at the time, I'm learning about the FSA photography. I'm learning about new topographics. I'm, um, you know, it's, it's just was all you know, kind of something that I was uh, kind of self-studying. Yeah. Um. There, other than the title, there's very little context in the book. There's no writing. There's uh, very uh, there's no, there's no other information. And I'm curious. Um, I, I imagine that must have been a decision that you came to. Yes, uh, I mean we reached out to a few folks for um, potential essays and forewords. There's a few people that I felt as though the book was in conversation with, um, and it was a kind of a, a right towards the time that it was coming to find that. We, we were a little bit crunched for time, so we weren't able to give certain writers the full time that they needed. And we didn't want to put a piece of writing in there that wasn't as thought out as the photographs, which is kind of this like six year long, really like slowly peeling back to put a piece of text in there. Prematurely, it felt like it would have been a disservice to the work. Um, so that was the thinking with no text, you know, and some of the people that I was fascinated with or interested in was like uh, Isabel Wilkerson was a writer who I was interested in. Um, also uh, a friend and a mentor of uh, ours, um, Eli Reed of Magnum was another person, uh, Keith Carter, 
um, another brilliant Texas photographer. Um, so they're not in the book, but that's like what I want it to be in conversation with. It's like it's in conversation with the early Hud Knowles and um, the Keith Carters and you know Keith Calhouns and people working in the Southeast. There's like a very rich tradition of like East Texas and Louisiana, Mississippi photos. It's honestly been a major site of cultural production in the U.S. and I want it to be recognized as that it's not just really this idea of like everyday ordinary people. It's actually like pretty extraordinary when it comes to like the contribution of something that's considered like a non-hub place of the of the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the the people in um, in the book, the the portraits. Do you like to talk about who those people are? Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so there's only two photographs that appear in the book. Um, that are like strangers. Um, most of the people in the book are relatives, friends, um, people who you know um, live in areas where I frequent. Um, so yeah, you know, it's it's a much about um, kind of looking out towards community, um, especially during a time that was pretty difficult for me between caring for my father, also the pandemic, um, you know, the protests that were happening in Austin. And some of this work uh, in the book was a part of a photo essay done for Rolling Stones magazine um, that was kind of like a counter narrative to the protests that were going on because there was like an eruption of images happening at that time of kind of like, you know, photojournalists being cooped up and they saw something that was like historical happening and there was this kind of very, un uh, you know, unconscious like, um, you know, seeing these images as I was already making this work that was a, a, a dressing, you know, racial inequity in Austin, which has its own kind of tribe history, to see these photographs of now someone who's just on the street and the cause that they're backing is about um, like black longevity in the city, it just felt really wrong to me. And so I, I wanted to make a document of something that kind of made you think a little bit further about an individual narrative. And that's something that I'm fascinated with. And so you see the photo of the expecting mother who was carrying a child during COVID and the strain on the medical system and the strain that put on her family and so on to the next generation. My older sister who is with her three children and it's, you know, um, homeschooling, pandemic, three young kids, just at a very, very close to breaking point. Um, and, you know, as well as my own story um, of being separated from my girlfriend and having to, in uh, her strength and helping me to, you know, deal with caring for my father. So it's really a look at the people who are around at that time, like me looking out and them looking in. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's just uh, a really like something that I hold close, but I guess to get to my original point of bringing this all up, it was uh, about looking out at these individual narratives instead of kind of looking at like the boiling point um, to try to figure out what's going on in the bottom. So that's kind of how I think about the portraits. Yeah. Um, okay, I have a bit of a, a heady kind of question now. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I was just listening to this, um, I was listening to the great um, filmmaker and cinematographer and photographer, Babette Mongolt. And she was talking about, she worked with Chantal Ackerman and um, in the New York theater scene, she photographed a lot of it. Really an incredible person. And she was, um, she said something about Godard, Jean-Luc Godard, the filmmaker, and how he talked about how framing, the way that you frame something is a moral decision, or how you frame something is a moral decision. I wonder if you could talk a bit about the space in the pictures and how you relate to that. You know what I mean? Yes, space as in like the physical spaces that I'm in or the relation of like composition and space around things. Yeah, more like the photography, not like the actual physical spaces you're in, but maybe like how you put together a picture or um, I don't know, how you think about how a picture holds or um, operates, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I can, I, I, I get what you're, you're getting at. Um, as far as like the space of the viewpoint that I'm allowing or using um, as that as like a tool, is that kind of the question? Yeah, I mean, it could be anything from like, uh, yeah, I don't know, where, where you're standing or, uh, I don't know. Uh, no, I, 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 get, yeah. I get what you're getting at. Um, yeah, I always kind of use this term when I see certain works that make me feel like um, they just walked out into the world and saw it. 
it, it, it's like where you can almost disguise how difficult and stressful and strenuous it actually was to figure out that viewpoint. And you know, there's a few works that give me that feeling. Um, and that's something that I really enjoy. There's like this kind of honesty to how you're seeing things and it doesn't feel like it's warped through a camera, through a, a lens. Um, and so, you know, um, one of the artists that this comes to mind just for like a reference is like, uh, you know, Oot Maller, um, German photographer, um, or Richard Rothman, American photographer. Um, they kind of have this way of looking at spaces and buildings that feels simple. And something about that brings me like mm -hmm. an element of joy. And it's not to say that like, I don't wanna see like a fisheye photograph or a long lens photograph, but there's something to this like idea of looking with the eyes and it kind of feeling like it is a, a relative experience to being in there. Um, but also, you know, I am interested in kind of going in and out of like formal compositions. Like a lot of the work is very formally framed, um, very kind of like classic, uh, you know, framing. Um, and so I don't think that's something I can really escape. A lot of the things that I'm drawn to are in that form. And it's, you know, a lot of it is really about making pictures that make me happy to look at. And it kind of is just a thing where it's like, can be the difference of like a good or bad week sometimes. It's like just knowing that if I make a picture that's gonna kind of give me a little bit, it might be just something to keep going to the next thing. Um, yeah. it's, it's just nice. Do you have a, do you have a, um, like a, a litmus test or, um yeah, I don't know. Like, how do you know when a picture works for you or not? <laughs> well, I work with, uh, with Sasha Wolf as an editor and kind of represents my work um, in the kind of gallery format. And um, she is another one of my editors, as well as Loose Joints, um, as well as my commercial agent, uh, Tom Claxton. So between them, I know they have different interests, different <laughs> viewpoints. Um, but also, I just all, really do believe that the photos have to age a little bit. Like I, it's hard to know if something's good right away, um, especially when it's in the in, when it's in rel uh, relative to a sequence. You know, it's like becomes very like objective. You know, and like certain quiet photographs that aren't spectacular, there they become spectacular because where they fit in in a sequence. Yeah. Where it's like if it was just an individual image, that would have not been the one that you would have picked. And you know, I always talk about like this idea of like when you're grant writing at a certain point, if you if you work with an editor and you're grant writing. Sometimes you have to walk away because you're actually like of no use anymore to look at what you're writing. And I feel the same way with editing. Like sometimes you have to walk away um, to be able to, you know, and also with the photos being so personal, I have so much personal context that when it comes to editing, which I think is more a graphic decision often, um, obviously narrative as well, but sometimes the photographs work literally because of some graphic element that's like arbitrary to any conceptual framework. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's how, you know, it's, but the idea of it being good or bad is, it's up to whoever's looking at it. Yeah, I was just looking back on some, uh, some older notes and I had this one from Ron Jude and he was talking about how, you know, that the pictures that are often successful are the ones that nag at him or he likes when a picture nags at him. And what he, like, he went on to describe it in this way that's like, you know, you, you don't love the picture, but it's also not nothing. You don't love it and you don't hate it, and then it just sticks with you somehow, and it works on you. And those are the ones for him that ends up be, that end up being successful. And I totally know what he means, you know, because like oftentimes the ones you like right away end up, you know, you get bored by them or, yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree. Sometimes I'll like love a photo so much when I first make it, and I kind of have learned now to like just not share it. Because, uh, you know, and I, <laughs> yeah. I even tell that a lot of times to students. It's like you're so excited about your work. Sometimes just showing it to people, it's like you're just opening yourself up for maybe like uh, some feedback or even just a subtle reaction like the person's hungry or they're like preoccupied and their body language doesn't tell you what you want to see of this thing you've like poured everything into. So I'm like very weary of like showing someone on like non-palleted eyes, you know, if like because it just can affect your confidence. And I think that as an artist, like your confidence is sometimes all you have to yeah. continue making things. And it's, it's also a really weird thing. Like when you do share something, it changes how you feel about the thing. Like when you, when you keep it to yourself for a little bit, not that it's bad to share or show people things, but when you, the, the second you do it, it change, I don't know, sometimes the thing loses its energy, even just in your mind. 
and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and you know, you can come like a bit preoccupied with the opinions and feedbacks that you've gotten, especially if it's someone uh, that you admire. You know, it's like you're gonna really have like whatever like kind of like note that they gave you. Sometimes even, you know, having done reviews, you kind of just have to come up with something to tell them. And so you don't want to be working with all of these kind of voices in your head because it's gonna get a little bit away from what your true, you know, uh, intention with the project is. But yeah, I guess we can kind of, you know, if you want to get into any of the like, you know, I'm happy to go into any details about like particular photographs or like if you have, you know, any questions there. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, so this is the second printing. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, for a photo book, that's a pretty amazing thing, you know, to go into a second printing. Um, did the edit change at all? No, we, we, exact kept, same book? we kept it the same book. We had a subtle paper change uh, on the cover. Um, but yeah, it's the same sequence, you know, as I said, I feel like it's kind of like the album, like I, it's not like I would change it or add a song or anything like that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the opening picture because openers are always, uh, I don't know, tricky things or interesting things to talk about. Yes, you know, that was a lot of the things, even down to the cover image. The cover image is uh, myself and uh, my partner Miranda, um, a self-portrait. Um, um, and, you know, when we made that photograph, it was a part of a commission for, through the New York Times um, that kind of spoke about, um, you know, romantic life and love during the pandemic age. And so we made this portrait and they ended up using another image, but never did we imagine that that would have been the cover. And when they first proposed it, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, like me on the cover, like that's way too much, like I, I'm not into it. And then as we started to sit with it, I, it really like started to resonate with me more and there's almost this kind of like De Carrarva-esque um, like mysticism if like this kind of, um, kind of like a smoky bar room is like what like in like all of those kind of textures um, were all very important to the making of the book. So the cover was pretty like jarring at first and now, yeah, I, I really am so happy with it. And to me, it's one of like the things I'm super proud about. So similarly with the opening photo, it was proposed. It's a photograph that depicts a young man uh, from, uh, from Houston, Texas. His name is Billy and he's a performing artist and performance artist. And he's someone who I had been like friends with and photographed for a long time. He appears also in the book in the photograph titled Billy and Minsley, um, where it shows a kind of a couple embracing in front of a series of white homes in uh, Buda, Texas. Um, and so, yeah, I think that he kind of sets off, but also for me, this photograph is a salt, is like a, a strong part of like an aesthetic statement from, for me, um, especially like, you know, that's more on a more personal level, like that photo to me, really like checks the boxes of like what I'm interested in my photos looking like and relative to my influences. Uh, so that I, I think that it, to me, it's a strong, uh, a strong start. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, you, you said you didn't study formally, right? You didn't yeah. go to photo school? Mm -mm. No, me no. neither. <laughs> yeah. What do you, um, your education, like um, familiarizing yourself just with the medium, was that just all sort of on your own volition? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I was studying sociology in the CUNY system here in New York, mm. and I was looking at books at my school, so like Bruce Davis and East 100th Street, like they had an old, just like withering copy of this book that was like so uh, beautiful to see, and I was just like so fascinated, and I wanted to know every element of like, how is this thing made? Um, and so that kind of, and then, you know, another really big one for me was Dawood Bey, you know, he's just such a kind of just, um, yeah, just kind of tightened in the way of just how he has um, moved through his career. I I'm really, really uh, admire him. And I think that also for me, when I moved to New York, I was like a little bit struck because all I had really photographed was uh, Texas and Oklahoma. And to be in New York, it was kind of like, man, well, what, what is my thing here? Like, what do I take pictures of? Like, what's it gonna be? And I was really kind of struck by that because before I had this kind of closeness to my home and my, the community there that I was able to naturally kind of find my subject matters per se. And then looking at the Dawood Bay class photos kind of was like, wow, like I'm around so many amazing people and amazing things that I have kind of access to, be it my fellow classmates or people at the skate park or people on the, in the neighborhood who I frequently like say hello to. So I begin, you know, continuing my street portraiture practice um, and kind of building up that language. And I would go back to Texas to visit family, make Texas photos, come back to New York. Um, but yeah, and, but I guess to your question of uh, the, the training, so I think 
with those photographs, I started to realize as well, a big one was Latoya Frazier's um, notion of family. You know, it's like seeing those works really like, um, were very like affirming to me to see like a family that was similar to mine that wasn't, you know, by any means perfect um, and to see that that was, um, could be art um, and that, that that was something of value really made me look a little bit differently, as I said, similarly with the landscape photographs, seeing some of these kind of expansive landscape images um, and relating it back to where I grew up and being like, oh, wow, actually, and being in New York for the first time. So being in New York, you're in like the Lower East Side, there's all these buildings. You're like, wow, now that I think of it, I guess where I grew up like is pretty barren and there is like some interesting um, characteristics about it. So I think coming up to New York did help me to gain some clarity. but. Um, when I was starting to realize that photography could have um, that effect on you, that's kind of like warming of the soul of like something that feels a little bit deeper than just visual aesthetics, um, that I, I kind of just immersed myself because there was so much to learn. There were so many um, beautiful contributions uh, from different artists. So, you know, familiarizing myself with photo books, but also reading about um, any interviews that were done and often watching a lot of lectures on YouTube. Um, and that was something that I did very heavily during the pandemic, was just like watch a lecture every morning um, and, and take notes. And there's so many great, um, yeah, lecture series that have been done over the years. You know, like there's this really great one from um, Todd Heido and Darius Himes that I like always recommend to people. Um, Which one is that? It's one they do with SVA. Oh yeah. And Todd's a friend of mine and he's like, you know, he's just, I, I find him to be like interesting in how he looks about photography because he was in so many different places. Like he like studied with Killup and he studied with De Carava and um, you know Larry Sultan was his teacher and he's kind of like uh, you know just been through all of these very fascinating spaces and time in the medium and um, I, I enjoy learning about all of that history. Yeah. I really relate to what you're talking about. I mean, I feel like that's also how I totally just learned and why I even started doing the interviews is just because I loved it as a forum, you know, just constantly, you know, you're interested in someone, you yeah. just sort of want to listen to the, I don't know, the psychology and the thinking behind, or just even just learning about someone's life and, you know, what they did that day. There's just a, that kind of curiosity there. Yeah, also I thought that it was interesting with the idea of trying to like build a career to go through and um, understand multiple career trajectories. Um, that was something that was interesting to me, so it didn't become as like personal. I thought like if it literally broke it down on like a more like mathematical level of like, okay, here's 10 people, here's their career trajectory, um, interested in like landmark projects, interested in like first known projects, and in, in, like, in also like slowing down of like the down pace and understanding that from multiple artists was helpful to just understanding, um, you know, the landscape of photography a little bit better. And like I said, I try to make things as less little personal as possible with it, just to not be so caught up in like these kind of deep emotions with uh, navigating the photography world of just figuring out a way of like, yeah, maybe just that being a little bit like stepping back from it and listening to the lectures and hearing multiple people's perspectives on where they, you know, just the, just the arc of the career was just a little bit comforting just to have that knowledge, if that makes sense. For sure, yeah. Yeah, and it's so, um, <clears throat> you know, there's so many different ways to do it. I mean, everyone has a different story and a different, uh, I don't know, way of going about it. And I feel like photography has also been, you know, historically, uh, only up until very recently, a lot more of a slow burn. Like, you know, people weren't, uh, you know, art stars or... Super, you know, super successful. A lot of people are just sort of making their work, and I don't know. It was this kind of thing that happened over time, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I also find that fascinating with um, a lot of the artists who I look up to, in particular, like the Kamonge Workshop uh, gentlemen. You know, they worked they worked commercially, but they were really like working photographers in the sense that they shot, um, you know, more mundane things. Um, and I think that as we've moved into this thing where it's like advertising has like taken this interest in particular narratives and stories that the landscape of just image making is changing. Um, and so it's, it's really hard to compare back to like their generation because back then people weren't like, you weren't having like, you know, the Lewis Drapers and like the Buford Smiths, like they weren't doing like massive like commercial campaigns. And so now that is an interesting space to like navigate um, working between like commercial and fine art where 
previously most photographers, and in, in particular a lot of black photographers, were working more in academia. Um, so we're seeing this like new moment where there's like actually an in route to photography outside of the academic and um, institutional art world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you yeah do you like doing commercial work or editorial work? Mm. I like that it like funds my personal practice. <laughs> <laughs> but but every once in a while, you know, you do get to meet cool people and you know um, try out different things. But it is fascinating. I was talking to another like practicing photographer about like you know you got to be careful. Like if you shoot a bunch of like ads when you go to make your personal photos, like it can influence you know how you shoot and how you approach it. Um, but yeah, you know, the commercial work is is nice um, to be able to help facilitate um, the art practice that actually does have a pretty like large like barrier of entry in the way of like you know financial means. Yeah, and it's also interesting how you never know. I mean, you could do uh, commercial work, and that could always, you know, that could lead to, I mean, you know, interesting, interesting things can come out of it. You know. Yeah. I just did this uh, really good interview with Baldwin Lee, and that's going to be the next one on, on the podcast. And he was just talking about, <clears throat> you know, he worked, he studied under Walker Evans, and he, um, he was, Walker Evans' printer, and so he thought he thought he. Uh, thought a lot about him and he was just talking about how so much of that work was made in a very concentrated period and a lot of it was on commercial jobs a lot of it was on like on assignment yeah i mean the nature of assignments has definitely changed now with the, especially with like the print media not being the same the financing from the same being from the publications because you know he did a lot of those stories for fortune magazine back in the day and um also on fsa assignment correct yeah yeah um yeah, so I mean, even if you think about someone like Mary Ellen Mark, a lot of her work was done as well. Arbus, she has magazine work. Um, but it was interesting, I mean, especially in the way that like back then, you know, some of the times like black and white was actually the norm, like black and white film was the norm. So that's something that, you know, I'll work in with color photography or digital photography on certain assignments. Um, but the kind of dream assignments is where you're asked to do something that is kind of in line with what you do for your personal practice. and so. There's been a few assignments for you know uh, publications like the New York Times Magazine where I've been able to kind of go and really spend time with the with the subject matter. Um, one of them was the COVID-19 uh, in Houston, Texas, and worked on a story like um, you know it was very pre-vaccine. We did not know what COVID was in particular, and I spent five days in between different Houston ICUs, um, and this was while also like caring for my father who was sick back home. Um, so a very like weighted time, but you know when you get a call from Kathy Ryan, you don't really like, you know, consider <laughs> consider many other elements. So I, you know, in that that story was so fascinating, and I really do think that being a caregiver for my father allowed me to photograph in the ICUs in a way that like I would not have been able. I was used to rolling someone over. I was used to this kind of bodily experience of caring for someone who is ill, and I think in that series I kind of realized that that was like. Uh, yeah, it's not like a power, you know, and often that's how I think about a lot of like hard things we go through is like it in a way becomes an experience that like is not learned through um, a program or it's like, you know, true life experience is valuable and also just the idea of like being alive and feeling things. So even in extremely difficult um, circumstances as in, you know, losing family members and all of the difficult things that went into this book, I'm I just remain grateful for those experiences and I, I carry them into the uh, other projects that I do in the way that I look at things, especially with kind of the photos I made of my grandparents in their later years before their passing. And so now if I kind of have the opportunity to photograph elders, like I, all of that was my training and often, and I did think that it was important to do this project that was about my home before going out and trying to tell anyone else's story. Um, so. Yeah, that's kind of my long-winded answer. <laughs> but yeah, should one, we do yeah. some questions? Yeah, I was just going to suggest that because I, I I'm looking at the time and uh, it's flying. I think we have some time for some questions. That's exactly what I, what I was just about to propose. Yeah, help us out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody? Anything? Curiosities? Oh, sorry. Uh, his book, uh, published by the University of Texas, uh, 
Press was one of my first photo books, and I just love it, uh, Keith Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned him and some of the other artists and working out of East Texas and Louisiana, et cetera. Have you talked to, to Keith um, about his, his practice and how, to, how does it sort of relate to or inspire what you do? Yes, you know, I, he has a lot of amazing talks available. He's definitely got the, the gift of gab. He's, and, I, and a part of that I really love, you know, his kind of like, you know, very like joyful, childlike kind of naive way of thinking about the world and enjoying looking and enjoying just kind of a, a very simple, spectacular moment if it's just a butterfly on a flower at the cafe. It's just kind of that idea of looking out in the world and like thinking like, well, ain't that something? And there's a very kind of Keith Carter way of thinking of things. And I try to like, when I'm making pictures, kind of release where it's like stress. It's like, if I get it, good. If I don't, great. You know, it's like, and not having that. And I think I picked that up from Keith. But I sent him an email when the book was uh, shortlisted to just kind of be like, Keith, you know, I just wanted to tell you like this book of pictures from Texas is, you know, um, I would think uh, you would, you know, be into it. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that he used an alligator emoji in his response. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? Um, so I just wanted to ask, this book is now like in its second printing. Um, what are just like some of the biggest takeaways you have about, I guess, the book form or making a book project uh, after this one? Yes, you know, it's, it's interesting because as I said, I had published an early artist book. Um, and often when I do uh, talks with students, I just use that as a departure point to talk about a publisher versus self-publishing um, in this kind of way that they kind of, you know, self-publishing, there's, there's so many incredible things about it, but one of the drawbacks that I feel that I experienced with making my artist book was both like naive design choices, just kind of thinking like, oh, what would a photo book look like if I did it? And it's like not like informed any, in any way other than just like intuition. Um, and you know, and I think that somebody would say, no, but that's great. That's why we like it. It's like, no, the, it, it's tough to look at it with certain. I, I brought it to like with some friends who I really lo- admire, and they were looking at it, and I was like, oh yeah, man, I'm I'm putting those back in the closet. Like, if you've got one, you've got one. But good pictures, just bad design, and you know, and I didn't. That didn't feel good. That that didn't it live on. You know, you know, there's a lot of people who do have really brilliant um, artist books, and so I think that that format is something that, um, you know just needs to be approached with the correct level of thoughtfulness. And I don't think that um, in, in the case of my early books, like that was a drawback. And you, that thing kind of, kind of lives with you in a way. Um, but it's also, I guess, as far as thinking about the, this project, um, yeah, working with a publisher who you trust um, and that you admire, you know, I, they had sent me some of the works that they had done with like Harley Weir um, and Luis Rodriguez. Um, and yeah, I was just really happy with the kind of the production value and the sequencing and um, yeah, like you know, I always kind of just say like they were the book people. I was the photo, the you know, picture person. Like I made the pictures, they make the books. I trust what you guys do in just understanding again to how I said like on a numbers level, like how a book functions. Um, I'm just I just think that way a little bit sometimes of just kind of being more like you know, a little bit, like I said, a little bit less personal about um, certain things. Um, and I think that just understand they knew on a numbers level, of had produced enough books, worked on enough books that I, I trusted them. And, you know, sometimes people make it seem like that's a lack of like um, voice within the work. And I kind of like push back against that because, you know, they're helping me to articulate exactly what it is that I wanted to do with the book. Um, and so, you know, it's definitely a thing that's like kind of in flux, but as I said, I think, in, and another thing I'll say back to the first, the earlier work with Oklahoma, was that when I sequenced the project, it was way too personal of only like context that I had. So it's like, oh, you drive down the road, then here's my grandma's house, and oh, but this is across the street, and someone looking at it is gonna have no idea of that. And so I needed someone that was gonna be able to like pick that apart and kind of take me deeper and have me say, ah, damn, I guess I was doing that. Like, I had no idea that I was doing all of that. And I think that's a great feeling if you've ever had that about your work where you realize something that you weren't seeing. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the, I think that books are a great form of seeing uh, and experiencing photography. I think that it's kind of one of the, like, you know, as I keep referring to like the idea of like an album, you know, it's like when you listen to a record, like if it's, it's kind of a classic, 
you know, if it's like a Larry Soul and like pictures from home, like you, you know this book and it has like these certain moments and a certain resonant with you, um, if it's like a certain, you know, material level. But then, you know, the thing people always talk about, it's like the idea that you can experience this in your own space is so important because being in a gallery, there's, you know, or in a, in a museum can be very intimidating for people. So I think the same kind of idea that I said about like being able to have the pictures be yours in a way, something that you can have your own relationship to that isn't uh, imposed by like a lot of kind of scary things of the art, larger art world is just incredible. And I think that it's so cool that photo books are, um, you know, still remaining such a like uh, relevant and um, important way of spreading pitches around. <laughs> For the tape. So it is really interesting to see, um, I've looked at this, these pictures many times, but the music component that you talked about, is that available? Is there any kind of a flip through online that has the song? At the moment, no. It's just something that I've done with the lectures, but I definitely would like to make that available either through like a QR code insert or something so that people can see that and then considering, yeah, maybe making it like a Vimeo link though. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I like, when I, I taught a class and one, one, uh, one week the assignment was to pair their pictures with music. It's something I always try to do, figure out myself. What, what's, the, what's the soundtrack to this book? The only thing I've ever seen that, that has ever worked is, is that, and it works so perfectly. So I was looking around trying to find it, and I couldn't, so my an that's my answer. You should, you should somehow make that available, because it's a different experience, but it's also, to me, a really heightened experience. It just absolutely, I can't think of these pictures now without that, that song. Yes, I, that's, I would love to make that available. So yeah, good idea. I mean, it's nothing that I would be like too precious about, you know, putting out there, like if, you know, versus like new photographs that, are, you know, you kind of try to hide away for a while. So yeah, it's a good, good suggestion. Thanks. Um, I'm interested in hearing about how uh, the people in the photographs have responded to the work and um, just, about, just about what you said about uh, the pictures being for uh, for for being sharing, but that also that personal investment. I'm interested in how um, your family or, or these you know performers or artists have responded to the work. Yeah, um, I think that you know for some of the people, especially like family, like it can be difficult. Um, in particular, the time that I saw, I showed my um, maternal grandmother my, this book after she you know who was who lived in Oklahoma and it was like she had been caught up in a certain way of like what's happened. It's like, oh, grandma, like it's been a kind of like, maybe I had only seen her for about three times in 11 years. And I remember she had seen the Oklahoma books. And I guess that was the last thing that I'll say, even to that last point of the self-published thing. Had I not self-published those books, my grandmother would have never been able to see them in her lifetime. So the fact that I did do that was very important because that was really like the moment. Like that was very important for me. Um, so. Also, the you know friends and people. I I often like for the people who I photograph to like the pictures, you know, and it's like I have to make two different versions to appease them and to get my picture. And so I often like to share the photos back with people, especially if it's like a street portrait of strangers. I really love for them to get back in contact with me so that I can share the and they can have a copy of the photograph. Um, and you know, I think the big one is like you know the choice of showing my father during his illness, and you know that was. And, and at first I had a real issue with like the idea that we did not show him before he was ill. And there was a few photographs that we considered to put into the sequence, but truly um, none of them fit quite perfectly. Like none of them felt like the, the one that we needed to do. Um, and you know, even going a step further with showing it in Arl this summer, that photograph like on the wall. But to me, to think about it as this thing that to like look away for this idea of like shame is like to me going in the wrong direction of what my intention of it is, is to actually be like this life affirming um, and positive thing. So to show him um, this photograph of him in his illness, you know, I, I thought back to like Avedon's photo of his father and this kind of idea of like humiliation that he kind of created with showing his father in his illness. So there was a lot of thoughts put into the idea of showing such a vulnerable photo, but you know, ALS is a very um, real issue. And so 
yeah, I'm not gonna think of it as a subject that I couldn't get into. And I guess, you know, I cared gay for my father up until his last days and shared many a laughs and, you know, a lot of just great times with him. And so I, I think I deserve to do what I want with it. <laughs> and, you know, also like I remember, I often I'd make these photographs into little eight by 10 Kikos, kink, um, like Kinko prints and put them on the wall and kind of just look at them. And um, I remember there, there was, that was a series when I photographed him. Um, and I really love that like his skin is like shining and like, I don't know, I'm kind of like a like spitting image of him kind of. So I see kind of like his skin and I see my skin and it's just like such a beautiful thing that even in his illness, he still looks so handsome. And I'm like, damn, you made it all this way with that, right? Like he's just kind of like such a smooth, just comedic dude who kind of gave me everything that, you know, I even have to offer. So. In that series, there was one portrait that I gave to his youngest brother. I'm sorry, I guess a little emotional just speaking about it. Um, but I gave a copy of that photograph to his youngest brother, and I, I just don't know what that means. Like, what does that mean? And also the idea of the photographs of my grandmother and the fact that she um, had to see her son pass away, like, experiencing that. But it kind of gets back to what I said about, like, well, ain't I alive? You know? Like, you know, um, what a story, huh? <laughs> But yeah, every, you know, so people respond well to the photos. Like I said, it's, and, and I didn't get into this, but I look at this book as a form of fantasy as well. Like this is like our, this is our musical. This is our film noir. Like it's not like you can only experience these kind of like Americana cultural things in like what, like, a, you know, some honky tonk film, you know, it's like, this is a cultural production of the South as art, you know? It's not just a fly on the wall, I like, captured life as it happens. It's like everyone in this book is participating in creating this thing that, um, so that's what I want everyone to be hyped about. Like, you know, even like the, the moment I want is like if I bring the photo back and I show like the young man the photo of himself and everybody's like laughing at him, kind of pushing him like, yo, you look good, man. Like, that's you, you know? And he's kind of like having to like come into confidence. Like that's how I just think about the portraiture and you know, with the people, especially a lot of the portraits that I do in Texas of young men and you know, some of these spaces that uh, like young men who are like, you know, maybe 10 years or so younger than me, maybe in their more teenage years. It's just really cool to interact with them and you know, they make up some of the photographs as well as um, other artists in the city of Austin and um, Texas. So, you know, I think in a way the book belongs to all of us, you know, and that's how I like to, to think about it. Like I hope that everyone shares that feeling that like they're all um, took part in creating this thing that's kind of had a, a big reach from our small Texas town. Yeah, what's the time? Maybe we can do like... 4.55. Yeah, we can do like one or two more. I don't know if any, any last questions. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how much this is a question and maybe a comment that follows up what you just um, so sort of beautifully articulated, but one aspect of the book that I admire, I'm very impressed by, is your level of restraint, knowing as much what to say as what not to say, what to sort of keep between the images and the background. So the book, the beauty of the book, and I'm like watching it over and over and over, the beauty of the book is, is how it slowly unfolds. And that is a level of sophistication, a level of nuance that is um, hard won, you know? And you have it, <laughs> I'm jealous at a young age, you know, this really, I just wanna put that out there. Um, I don't know if there's a question in there, but in the editing process, you, you must have had a few painful moments where that picture can't be in even though I may love it and it means a lot to me, but this isn't the right place for it or this isn't the right time for it. I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that, but yeah, there, there it is. Yeah, no, thank you, Doug. That means a lot to hear because yeah, I'm a big fan of your books and I'm always, always talking about them. So that means a lot to hear. Um, yeah, you know, there was definitely pictures that I was like, there's no way that this can't be in, you know? And I think a lot of those were tied to particular memories. Like one in particular is there's no photographs of my grandfather um, in this book. And you know, the few photographs that I had, none of them fit. There was two that we really considered. One was kind of a tight cropped like headshot of him and the other one was a kind of 
a very kind of dark photograph of him the, seated at the table of the family home in Colleen, Texas at, on the last Father's Day before he went to assisted living. And I still love that photograph, but I don't know where it would have fit. Like they, in, and I think that that also gets back to the kind of quality of, like I said, of like the kind of fantasy element of it. I think that with the edit, you don't fully get everything um, in some of the landscapes. And there was certain pictures that I was like, oh, these, you know, I want this to be in. And also um, somewhat like other subject matters, like photographs that, and, and I always use the quote, like I don't like the photos to present questions that aren't answered. And so it felt like, you know, with, you had to contain the sequence in like, if you were to add another thing, it might lead its own tentacle to like, you know, sprawl out like the, each photo kind of has like this web and I think that you want it to be kind of all contained within maybe like a parameter and like a center point. And even when showing the work, I showed them in like various sizes and it kind of gets back to that idea of like what's important, what's not important, what's a fleeting memory, what's like a, you know, um, unforgettable moment. Um, and, and also, I think a lot of that also comes within the collaboration where there's so many things like um, there's a part in the sequence where there's a man seated in a chair and um, it was actually, I'm not sure if you guys have seen it at flash through, it's like a man, he's kind of seated in a chair, there's kind of tears in his eyes and that photograph was made, it's probably one of the earliest photographs in the book, it was made in 2015 and it was made at this um, under the bridge ministry that was taking place in Austin where they would come and they would help to like rehabilitate people in Austin and it was one of the, you know, just interested in trying to understand um, from the class divide and all of the things that were happening in Austin, trying to really understand it at an early age, I would go and connect with people and speak with them to be like, what's actually happening in our city? And I'm not, you know, I, in a way I felt more connected with a lot of the people there than like, you know, the people who were frequenting my like photo lab job and this kind of like keep Austin weird, you know, climate. And so that photograph, I, I say that because, um, so that was taken out of ministry and then someone read the photo as it being taken at like a union meeting. And they had like made this whole narrative based on like a four photo sequence that was like none of it. <laughs> like it was just of their creation. And then like, you know, I always leave that. I'm like, hey, that's actually good. Like I'm gonna I'm a take that, um, I'm gonna run with that. So, <laughs> you know, I think you have to do that. And like, that's always make the joke about that of like how much of certain things is just artist talk. If like things that after like four essays, I figured out what to say. But like when you made it and like made, you know, the inception of it, and I guess before we can end this kind of on this question, but I'll show you the sequence here uh, as it comes up. Um, and this is coming from this uh, person who was viewing the book, their, their perspective. So I believe it's the next photograph. So they saw it as a union hall, the workplace, leisure, and leisure again. And that was something that was so unintentional, both in making the photos and sequencing them in that thing. But again, I like that. <laughs> I'm going to roll with it. But yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. And so many of the people are familiar faces and friends. So it feels a little weird, like going full TED Talk mode in front of a mic. <laughs> but uh, y'all are all yeah beautiful. and so happy to have y'all all here. So thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. Bruce. That was my conversation with Raheem Fortune that we had last month as part of the classroom series at the New York Art Book Fair. Thank you so much to Louis Chaplin and Sarah Chaplin Espinal for organizing it, and to the New York Art Book Fair for allowing us to air it here. Original music for the show by Adam Feingold. And this episode was produced by me, Jordan Weitzman. Thanks so much for tuning in, and see you next time.